give me a t- two minutes because this is the problem with technology. It isn't quite so quick actually switching it on. But here we go. So, um, if you weren't here last week, where were you? Um, but that's okay. I'm sure you had a really good reason. Send a note to the headmaster if you want. Uh, if you weren't here last week, you can get it on the podcast and that will catch you up where we're at this morning. Um, but um, there's a tension that we need to talk about this morning. And uh, none of us particularly like talking about tension, but we're going to talk about attention. The tension affects every one of us in this room and, I suggest, every person on planet Earth. And the tension is this. The experience we long for most as human beings is what we also find the hardest and at times most painful experience of all, and that's belonging. We long to belong We want to connect with other people, so much so it's a drive within us and yet at the same time we find it that that's where our source of the most pain, most difficulty and most frustration comes from. This great desire within us to belong and to connect to other human beings and yet at the same time, if I was to line you all up and say, tell me some of the pain in your life, most of it will have been connected to other people. Most of it. So this attention here, we long for it and yet... It's painful. And this belonging uh, that drives us to connect to other people in our culture in the last five to ten years has gone crazy with the whole introduction of social media. And uh, that whole thing is all built on the premise that people want to belong. They want to connect to other people. So four key words, friends, followers, likes and retweets. That's how we define whether we belong now. How many friends have we got? How many followers on Twitter have we got? How many likes when I put my photograph of my lunch up on Facebook, which everybody really, really is desperate to see. You had beans on toast. Fantastic. But I only had 13 likes. Nobody likes me anymore. And retweets. If we get a retweet, that's great if you're on, on Twitter. But here's some interesting things, because I believe that all truth is God's truth. Yes? So I don't just look in the Bible because all truth is God's truth. God is way bigger than that and I like that about God. Research suggests that the connectedness of relationships is a key factor in health and well-being. That when you are deeply connected relationally, that's a key factor in whether you'll be healthy and your sense of well-being. There was a study uh, written called the Journal of Happiness. And uh, the question was, what makes people flourish? The answers that came back after their research were this, rich, deep joy-producing, life-changing, for meaningful relationships. Psychologist called Winnicott, um, he had this theory that children uh, develop best uh, when they're very close in proximity, uh, when they're younger, to their mother. Because when they're in close in proximity to their mother, they feel safe, they feel able to be innovative and to take risks. He called it the circle of connectedness. This idea that, that there's something quite flourishing in an environment where you feel connected. Health research says relationally isolated people are three times more likely to die than those who aren't isolated relationally. So listen to this. People with bad health habits but strong relationships are more likely to outlive people with good health habits and weak relationships. Somebody once said to Winston Churchill, the old Prime Minister of, of this country through the war, who wasn't known for his health habits, okay, if you know anything about Churchill. He drank too much, he smoked too much, he ate too much. Someone said to him, Mr. Churchill, do you ever, ex- do you ever exercise? He said this, the only exercise I get is being a coffin bearer for my friends who died while exercising. Now, I'm not advocating that as a lifestyle. Exercise and health habits are really, really important. But there was another experiment taken uh, where people were infected with a common cold and they were tested to see who is more likely to fight this common cold and they proved that those who had strong relationships were 
better fighting off the cold and produced less mucus. Fact this morning, unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. Okay? So that's just fact, okay? Research for you. If we are connected relationally, we are better, I have a better chance of living a healthier and well-being life, okay? You can be as, as healthy as you like, you can run as much as you like, you can eat well and all of that, but relationships are absolutely vital for our sense of well-being. And this drive to belong within us, but this comes with a few problems, doesn't it? And here's a few. How do you get close without getting hurt? Hmm. How do you move past superficial connections to deep life-giving relationships? How do you belong with people who sometimes you don't agree with? And in some of our cases, who we never agree with. How do we belong? How do we genuinely and authentically find that sense of belonging? You know, loneliness is more to do with being known than how many people we actually know. A lot of people have hundreds of friends on Facebook and loads of followers on Twitter And yet are the loneliest people you can imagine. Because loneliness isn't how many people you know, it's whether you're really known or not. Albert Schweitzer, who was a great author many years ago, he said this, We are all so much together, but we are all dying of loneliness. So we're all so much together, but we're all dying of loneliness. Several years ago, and I've used this illustration before, some of you may remember it. Several years ago, there was a a children's book called The All Better Book. And it was written to try and get kids to solve some of the big problems of the world. Okay, so ecological problems or conflict or whatever. But one of the questions in the book was this. Great question. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? And here were some of the answers. Kalani, aged eight, says this. People should find lonely people and ask them their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign lonely people and not lonely people together in the newspaper. There's an eight-year-old with a gift of administration, isn't it? I mean, come on. It just seems so obvious, doesn't it? Max, aged nine, he's a little more creative. He says, make food that talks to you when you eat. For instance, it would say as you eat it, how are you doing today? (laughs) And what did you do today? So there's a little creative nine-year-old. Matt, aged eight, he hasn't got a very healthy view of marriage. Let me just say this. Matt, aged eight, we could get someone a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. (laughs) And then this is the most touching of all. Brian, aged eight, says this. Sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. Yes, I knew that would get that. <laughs> With billions of people in the world, some, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this morning, somebody has figured out a system where no one is lonely, and it's called the church. And you might think, whoa, I'm not sure about that. Well, I'm going to prove that to you this morning. Okay, from the word of God, I'm going to prove that to you. You see, our need for community with people and the God who made us is to the human spirit what food, air and water are to the human body. And last week we began by looking at this series called Only the Brave and we're looking at the book of 1 Peter, which was written um, in the New Testament. It was written in the 60s, in the AD 60s, or around that era, where Christians were being persecuted for their faith and people were living in a very hostile world. And, and, and Peter, who was a follower of Jesus, he wrote this as a pastoral letter. 
And, and he said, you know, you're living under pressure, but you've got what it takes to be brave. Remember that? Last week, you've got what it takes to be brave under pressure. And can I just say a little aside, the song that Chris and Abby sang and wrote last week and sang such a fantastic song. Many of you have asked me for it. They have recorded it and we're going to make that available for you as well, which is brilliant of them to do that. So thank you very much. But you remember that last week, only the brave, okay, is what we're talking about. Uh, Only the brave under pressure. You've got what it takes to live under pressure. But here's the thing I want to say this morning. Brave people go further than just digging deep within them to find bravery. Brave people reach out to other people as well. You see, sometimes you might say, well, I've got what it takes to be brave. And you have, but sometimes we need other people. And here's the kind of phrase that I want you to think about today. Only the brave refuse to live life alone. Now, I wanted to get this really right and I wanted to check that I got all the right words because one of the slides that went up when we were putting this together on Friday was only the brave refuse to live alone and that's not what I'm saying. Many people live alone, some by choice and many not by choice. I'm not saying that. Only the brave refuse to live life alone. You may be alone in your house but you've got a choice as whether you're going to live life alone or not. And I want to suggest to you that brave people refuse to live life alone. And this is where it flips on the head because in our world, we like to think the brave person is that person that goes and takes the hill all on their own. And sometimes that is brave. But real brave people, they know when to dig deep inside of them, but they also refuse to live life alone. They know that they were built, they were designed to live their life with that sense of belonging. So in 1 Peter 2, if you want to turn there with me, verse 4 and 6. And Peter uh, uses, and and I'm not going to go through every verse as we go through Peter. I'm not going to do that approach to it. I really believe in some key messages that God wants to bring to us. It says just a great few verses in 1 Peter 2 where Peter says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And the metaphor, the picture that Peter uses is of a house And in a house, there were foundations. But in the foundation stones, one keystone was important. That was the cornerstone. That held everything together in the foundations. But it also meant that the building would be built on the strength of the cornerstone. And what Peter says is that Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And when you accept Jesus as the Lord and the leader of your life, what you do is you become a living stone built together. And you together form a spiritual house. Are you with me? Now here's really interesting that we understand this. Those stones only really function as they were intended to when they come together. See, when they're on their own, they're a stone. But when they come together, they start to build something. And I want to say, you, as, if you're a believer and you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, brilliant that you're here and I'll talk to you in a moment. If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, you are not designed to live on your own. You're designed to be built together with other stones. You do not lose your individuality or your, your, your uniqueness But what you do do is that as you come together, you build something that is edifying for you and encouraging for you, but also is strong and begins to speak to the world. Living stones. You know, there's a a legend of a Spartan king. You know, Sparta, everyone's seen 300. You shouldn't be watching violent films like that, none of you. There's a Spartan king that boasts about the walls of Sparta to another king. And the other king says, so where are these famous walls of Sparta? And he points to his bodyguards and says, these men are the walls of Sparta. Every man is a brick. 
to which every man goes, but this idea that actually these are the walls. Every man, every woman built together are a wall. They're building an incredible house. But Peter doesn't just stop there. He carries on with this belonging theme. Because he says in verse 9 and 10, but you are a chosen people. I want you to know, as I read through these next few verses, none of this that I read is singular. It's all plural. Just listen. You are a chosen people. Not a person, a people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's saying, you're living in a hostile world. You're under pressure. You can dig deep for bravery, and you must do that, but you belong to one another. You're a people, not a person. You are a person, but you're a people. And you've been called out of darkness into incredible light. You know, right at the beginning of time, God created man and God looked at that single man and said, it's not good for man to be alone. So created woman, but you know, he didn't stop there neither. He didn't say, well, okay, that's them. That's, that's the married couple. That, that's it. It's, no, that's not kind of good neither. And, and there's family. And then and the family, there's tribe. And in the tribe, there's nation. And there's a whole world, isn't there? It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for woman to be alone. It's not good for us to live life alone. Only the brave refuse to live life alone. And other writers in the Bible say the same thing. The other big writer in the New Testament is a guy called Paul. You might have heard of him, the Apostle Paul. And he says in Romans 12 verse 4 and 5, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form how many bodies? One body. And listen to this, and each member belongs to all the others. So that little fun song that we sang at the beginning, out of the charts, those of you that that knew that, is actually theologically quite correct. I belong with you, you belong with me. The next bit, sweetheart, is not so theologically correct. But the first bit, I belong with you, you belong with me, is absolutely biblical. We didn't didn't do do that just for fun. We did that because some of you will know that and connect to that. But I want you to think about that. I belong with you, you belong with me. That's what the Bible says. You might say, oh, no, 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 I've got my faith, I've got, I've got my Bible, I've got, I can do it on my own. Well, that's not biblical. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion, of Christianity. It's a corporate deal. It's a belonging deal. I belong with you and you belong with me. Paul said in Ephesians 2, so now you Gentiles, you people now who are starting to come to faith, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together, we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. He's saying exactly the same thing that Peter's saying. When you look at the New Testament, it's not just one verse. It's right the way through. You belong with me and I belong with you. Hey ho. Ho hey. God's way is that we belong to one another. But it's hard, it's costly and it's painful. And often people, even followers of Jesus, think that to be brave means we're going to go it alone. But I want to tell you, only the brave refuse to live life alone. So that's quite a long introduction. So why do we choose often to live alone? Why do we choose to do our life? Why do we choose to live out our faith more solitary than with that sense of belonging? Let me give you a few reasons that come to me. Number one, expectations. You know, uh, Winnicott, that psychologist that I quoted, he had another phrase where he talked about um, the good enough mother. This idea that as a a mother, you know, you you have this expectation that you need to be perfect or as a father as well, it's true. 
But actually, this concept of the good enough mother. And sometimes when we look at the church, people within the church and outside can have an expectation that the church is going to be perfect. Well, I have news for you this morning. It isn't. This church isn't. No church is perfect. In fact, many of us as leaders read a book a few years ago called No Perfect People Allowed. So if you're one of those perfect people, you need to go find another church because you're not allowed here. Because there is no such thing as a perfect church. George Verwer, who's a guy I admire greatly, who started um, Operation Mobilization, which is a, a Christian organization that we've got one of the centers here in, in the building at the back. Um, I heard him speak recently, and he said that as Christians, we need to develop like a theology. He calls it messiology. And he says this because where two or three are gathered in my name, there will be a mess. All right, so you can quote that verse. Where two or three come in my name, there will be a mess. We need to have an expectation of reality that because we are human, it will be messy. How many of you know that's true? And some of our expectations relationally are ridiculous. Ridiculous. We expect other people to be perfect when we're not. We expect the church leadership to get it right all the time when we don't. We expect complex issues to be so simple when they're not. Because where two or three are gathered in my name, there will be a mess. But we belong with each other, even in the mess. I love, somebody bought me a book this week, a very simple book, a short book, which is good, uh, by Milton Jones. Anyone know who Milton Jones is? He's a comedian with crazy hair. He's actually a believer. He's actually a Christian. And, and this is a book, um, all on kind of Christian kind of emphasis, and, but he's a comedian. And he, he, one of the lines he says in the book is this, some people think of church like a giant helicopter. They don't want to get too close in case they get sucked into the rotors. Which I just think is really, is really interesting, but you don't, obviously don't get that at all, do you? See, he's an acquired taste, Milton Jones, as he really is. But there's this idea that I'm not going to get too close in church because I could get sucked in and then I'm not sure about my own identity. But actually, theologically, you belong in, not out. If you're a follower of Jesus, you belong in, not out. Belonging means that we're going to work through different points of view and we're going to do it in a good way. So let me give you some current examples. We're trying to make some changes. If you don't understand those changes, you need to get the CD or the download from the Vision Night. But we're trying to make some changes at church. So we're changing our service times at the beginning of June. Go to 9.30 and 11.30 and it'll be slightly shorter than it is currently. It'll be an hour and 15 minutes. We're trying to focus on reaching people who don't come to church as well as those who do. We're making some shifts. We're trying some stuff. We're experimenting. We're having some difficulties at the moment with just getting it right in terms of the music and the level and the volume and all of that. But the way we handle that, we're going to handle it really well, aren't we? You see, I remember my dad telling me a story of the, when I was a kid. Um, and We were brought up in the Salvation Army. And my dad told me that when he was young and in the Salvation Army, there was a, there was a dispute over something to do with music. And they handled it this way. It got out of control. It ended up with a trombone wrapped around the head of another band member. Now, can I tell you, that's not going to happen in this church. It will be a bass guitar. But <laughs> we're not going to handle it that way. So what we are going to do, we're going to handle it well, which means we're going to talk about it. We're not going to get heated. We're not going to talk in the heat of the moment. We're going to talk. We're going to have conversations. We're going to listen to each other's point of view. And we're going to work forward together. Because that's the way you do it when you belong to one another, isn't it? And I think many of us refuse to belong because of our expectations. We'd much rather do the Lone Ranger thing than try and work out the mess of what relationships are all about. The second thing is this, experiences. How many of us have ever had experiences with other people and we've said in our head, I will never something again. I'll never trust again. 
I'll never go to a small group again. I'll never open up to anyone again. How many of us have ever done that? But here's something which rocked my world when I read this as I was researching for this talk. This is one of those quotes which, if you've got a heart and a mind, it's going to hit you. It says this, on a new and great writer said this, Community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Ouch. Community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. What I love about the church is that it isn't a club where you all come because you've all got kind of just something in common, um, like, a, like a love of football or, or, or a love of a certain kind of movie or that. We come together and our one thing in common is Jesus. Everything else, we probably all wouldn't be together, would we? I wouldn't be, trust me. <laughs> no, we wouldn't. But the one thing that pulls us together is our love of Jesus, which means that that sense of belonging, when we are so different, is so much more powerful. I belong with you, and you belong with me. Our experiences. What about pride? <laughs> That's a big thing. People don't really belong because of pride, actually. The Bible says a lot about pride. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride lands you flat on your face, the message says. Humility prepares you for honour. Proverbs 16, 18. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. It's pride that says, I don't need to talk to anyone. It's pride that says, I don't need to sit in a circle with other people. What do I need that for? It's pride, often. It can be experiences, it can be expectations, it can be pride. It can also be fear. What will they think of me if they really knew me? You know, the greatest freedom is having nothing to prove. And when you're in relationships where people know the worst about you and still love you, oh, that is amazing, isn't it? But they know all the stuff about you and still love you. So what might we find if we were brave enough to really belong? And I want to draw it into a focus here. What might we find if we were brave enough to really belong? I think we'd find a greater strength. There's a wedding. We've got a wedding tomorrow. Pete Chapman and Naomi from the church are getting married over in Kinver. And one of the verses that's chosen for the wedding, as often is for the wedding, is a verse about the strength that comes when you don't do life alone. We often use it in a wedding context, but it's bigger than that. Says this, by yourself you're unprotected. With a friend you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded stranded rope isn't easily snapped. It's this idea that you can live life on your own and you can be brave by digging deep. But if you find other people and if you include God, that's a greater strength. I can think back in times in my life where there's been moments when I've really needed the strength of other people. Sometimes you have to dig deep and find it on your own, for sure. But I think back to times like when my dad died, traumas with our kids which seem to come at a frequent rate of knots at certain stages, and you all know what that's about, many of you. Leadership challenges and disappointments, relational conflicts. It's been the friends in my life and the people in my life who I live life with that have given me a greater strength. When I, had to, I remember having the phone up a friend of mine and said, I'm in a right state. I can't talk to anyone in the church about it. I can't talk to any of my other friends about it. I've got to talk to somebody else. And he just said, come see me right now. Went and saw him right now. Cried my eyes out poured out a whole load of stuff I don't know what I would have done if it wasn't for that guy at that time who said come right now come and see me now what an amazing thing a greater strength I also think guys if we will have this greater sense of belonging I think we'll get a greater experience I think life is meant to be richer and more colorful than we make it again Milton Jones in this book says church should be everyone arriving with one piece of the jigsaw see none of us have got the whole picture have we and when you come into a season like this, your question is, do I belong? And you might think you don't, but I want to say you do. 
If you're willing to give, if you're willing to step in, if you're willing to let go of some of your past experiences and hurts, if you're willing to give it a chance, if you're willing to get sucked in a little bit more, you have a piece of the jigsaw that nobody else has. And when we put those pieces together, what could God do? Only the brave refuse to live life alone. I also think, thirdly, that there'll be a greater impact. Look at the phrases that Peter uses to describe the church. A chosen people, not a person, a people. Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples, that you love one another. And he says, you're a royal priesthood. The Latin word there uh, for that means a bridge builder. There's nothing more powerful as a bridge into our world than seeing the church united. Unfortunately, the world thinks the church is completely disunited, doesn't it? Looks at the church and says, you keep falling out, you keep fighting, you keep doing all this. But when we come together, work through our differences, that's such a powerful bridge to to the world. Holy nation. Here's an interesting one. The word holy, hagios in the Greek, literally means different. Now if we're different, here's a question. Are we different in the way we handle our issues? Are we different from the world? Or or rather than talk to the right people, do we gossip to the wrong people? Do we throw our toys out the pram or do we actually deal with it in sensible, mature, Christ-like ways? Because if we don't do that, then we're no different from anyone else. But a holy nation is not how high you put your hands in the air, it's how different you are than those who don't know God. We're a holy nation, Peter says. A people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, once you'd not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. And you know, if you're not a believer this morning, this is really important stuff for you to hear as well. Because that sense of belonging... That sense of belonging is so important for you to hear. Now you might say, well, I don't believe. Well, I want you to say, that's okay. You can belong. You can belong. And in that process of belonging, our hope and prayer is that there may come a moment in the future when you do believe. But you know, if you do believe, you do belong. And you must belong. And here's the the challenge. Many of us who do believe have chosen not to belong. And yet there's some who don't believe who look at it and think, I kind of want to belong. I'm not sure I believe it all, but I kind of want to belong. And I want to say to you this morning, you belong. And if you believe, you belong. Start belonging. I've got um, three challenges for you this morning. And if you don't believe in God, you can still belong. I want to encourage you to hang with us, to listen, to ask questions, to watch our lives. And sometimes you'll look at our lives and think, crikey, I'm not sure I do want to belong. All we can do is to say, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. Hypocrites, sometimes, deliberately, no. But we're not perfect. We're on a journey too. But if you do believe, if you are a believer, then you've got to show that you belong. Because the Bible doesn't know anything of solitary Christianity. So here's the three challenges. Number one, I want to encourage you to commit to the gathering. I want to encourage you to commit to gathering together. For us, primarily that's on a Sunday morning. And you're here, so that's great. But I want you to commit to it and as a regular thing, whenever you can. And from the beginning of June, it's going to be an hour and a quarter out of a whole weekend. And even when the sun comes up, an hour and a quarter is not the whole weekend. But what's really important is that we commit to it. Why is it important? Rick Warren, who's a leader of a church in America, who just a few weeks ago, his 27-year-old son, took his own life through years of, of, of battling with mental illness. He wrote this, and it's just incredible when I just watch from a distance, I don't know the guy, just his faith and just the ability. And he said, in those weeks after, after my son died, it was the gathering, it was people, it was relationships that kept us going. And he said this, 
disconnected from the church, your spiritual life will eventually wither and cease to exist. This is why the first symptom of spiritual decline is usually inconsistent attendance at services. Whenever we become careless about this, everything else begins to slide too. And if you've got kids and young people, it's really important that you're committed regular because you're putting a regular rhythm and pattern into their lives. And when they say, oh, the sun's out, let's go to the park. You say, God, we will go out of the park, but we're going to church first. You are modelling something which you will reap in the future, I believe. So I want to encourage you directly to commit to the gathering weekly. Secondly, commit to a small group. In this church, they're called life groups. Some of you think, oh, I've done that, been that, don't like groups. Do you know what? Life change occurs best in circles, not in rows. When you see what happens in the life group is that you look at one another, not the back of someone's head. This is really important, but you can't do everything in this. Small group, life group is really important. You can't do everything in that neither, but it's really important because that's where you sit in a circle, not in a row, and you look at each other and you say, what does this mean to you? What does this mean to me? And we walk it through closer together. That's why in the New Testament, they met in the big, in the temple, but they met in the homes. They met in circles and they met in rows. And I love this. One church leader that I was reading says this, as a, and this connects back to what I said earlier on about the health benefits of relationships. He says this, as a rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups, but you decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. So the motto for life groups at our church is this, join a group or die. <laughs> oh, that's a great motto. Dan, I think we should pick that up now. Join a group or die. That's great, isn't it? So... You this morning can go to the welcome area after church and get, a, and get a brochure on Life Group or talk to Rachel or talk to Dan. You could do that today. You could not be like James says, someone who hears the word and just ignores it, but you could be someone who responds to it. If God's spoken to you through this, that's one thing that you could do. You could commit to being in a small group. But here's the third challenge for all of us. Commit to the gathering. Commit to a small group. Commit to the journey of going deeper in all of your relationships. Because this won't do everything. The life group won't do everything. The small group. It's only as we go deeper in our relationships that that real sense of belonging will take a hold of us. I don't care how many likes or followers you have. I don't think that's important. What's important is this. Do you have a friend you can drop in on at any time without calling ahead? Is there someone who could accurately name your fears and your temptations? Do you have someone you pray with who's not your spouse or a member of your family? Do you have someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth, even if it hurts you? Commit to the journey of going deeper. And you know, the journey of going deeper in belonging starts with one step, doesn't it? It starts with one step or one hand or one word. It's not the whole thing. Last week I said, you know, God gives us a lamp to our feet, not a floodlight to our destination. We start with the light that we've got and we step into it. I want to encourage you just to stand with me for a moment. I'm going to ask the guys just to play. And just as I was washing up yesterday, just to put that in there, um, <laughs> no, I really was, I just really felt God speak to me and kind of burst into a little bit of prayer out loud. Alison came in and said, you were right. So that was a little bit weird. But as I was praying about today, I just really felt that God gave me something specific for some of us this morning, which I hadn't planned to do. I've got about three or four quick responses that I want us to engage. And this is the first one. I'd like you just to close your eyes for a moment. Some of you in this room, because of past experiences 
or expectations or hurts, you have chosen not to really belong. And you're holding on to that. And here's the thought and the picture I had. If you're holding on with a clenched fist, you can't receive anything new. And what I believe God wanted me to say is this, to actually encourage you right now today to put your hand out and clench your fist in front of you and then to open your hand and turn your hand the other way just to show, do you know what? I'm going to take this. I'm going to open my hand. I'm going to let it go so I can receive something new. So I want to encourage you to do that. Nobody else is watching. You know that you've done that and you've clenched your fist a little bit and, you, and you're kind of staying self-contained. But actually, And you might be in a life group. You might be coming to the gathering. You're here. But you're not going to get any closer. You're not going to get let anyone else really know you because of past experiences. And I believe that God wants to touch you and heal you this, today. So while you're standing there, just, just clench your fist and then just open your hand and let it go. God, I just pray that there'd be many of us here who would let go of past hurts and experiences so that we could welcome something new and fresh that you have for us. Those of us that have disconnected from belonging, Lord, we want to step back towards belonging. And then, I, and then I also sense that there were some of you, and there's a story in the New Testament where Paul is beaten up outside the city walls. And, and the Bible says that the disciples gathered around him and prayed for him. And he got up and went back in the city. And there's just that sense of, of many of you feeling beaten up by life right now. And I know we did this last week with those under pressure, but if you feel beat up right now, life is just beating you up, have the bravery to let others gather around you and pray for you. So I want to ask you to sit right where you are. If you feel beaten up a little bit through life, just sit and let us pray for you for a moment. Do you do that? So if there's anyone sitting down, if you're standing up, why don't you just gather around them just for a moment and just pray for them. A few starting to sit and just look up and put your hand on them and have the bravery to say, yeah, I feel a bit beaten up. The Apostle Paul, for goodness sake, let other people pray for him. Father, we just really pray for these fantastic people. Oh, I feel beat up right now because life's been horrible. Really hard, really tough. God, we just pray that as people gather around them, we pray for that sense of strength to come to them that sense that they're not alone that sense that they're not just abandoned and cut away but God that there are other people around God we pray for strength into their lives in Jesus name strength into their lives in Jesus name pray for the anointing of your spirit that not only gives us courage and bravery but heals wounds and hurts and soothes sorrows pray for the name of Jesus that that old hymn says that soothes our sorrows heals our wounds and drives away all fear God we pray that over these fantastic people would you bring strength into their lives that they would stand again and walk back into the city in Jesus name